Welcome to RiskWise, a show about money for Muslims, where you'll learn how to make smarter financial decisions without selling your soul. For the full experience, join us at no cost at riskwise.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. My name is Ahmed Munawar. Welcome back to the show. Assalamu alaikum. This is Saeed. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us once again. So we're doing a Q&A again today. Yes. And today's question is a smart question. Uh, smart question, not just because the person that asked it is a good friend of mine and I want to make him feel good about himself. <laughs> no, but it is a good question because if you've been following and, and paying attention to what we've talked about so far and what's coming up, the logical conclusion is, or the logical question that you're going to be asking yourself is, how do I get started with investing? Mm-hmm. Right? We've talked about budgeting and saving and and now we're getting into the importance of making sure that you're invested in productive assets and not sitting on cash. Yep. But how do you do that? Mm-hmm. So today's question is, should I invest on my own or hire a professional to help me? Mm-hmm. Good question. Very personal. Very personal? Uh, How so? Yeah, because at the end of the day, both so, I mean, the, the long form of that question was, should I invest with a large investment firm or learn to invest on my own? I'm not confident in the latter, not confident in investing in his own, but I don't feel like being duped by the former, being duped by the, you know, the investment firm that he hires, which and, and is... This, yeah, and that's, uh, this, this is really, I think, where it gets tricky because, and no offense to Saeed, because Saeed is a financial planner, and, and, mm-hmm. and he knows us better than, better than us, right? Oh, the, yeah. The industry has a terrible reputation, mm-hmm. and I would say for good reason. Yep, absolutely. Right, why, so why is that? Why, why do you guys have a bad reputation? Oh, man. Um, why do we have a bad reputation? I think that, <laughs> I don't know how long we want to spend on this, but um, many people get into the industry, so the people who work in the industry um, come from one of two mindsets. Either they are uh, you know, philosophically in favor of helping people plan for their finances and help them give advice, all that kind of good stuff, or, and I, I don't know if I want to say the majority, but definitely a significant percentage are really here, the professionals are really here to make money for themselves. And there's a lot of sales that's, you know, trained in the industry. I mean, any, any entrepreneur uh, needs to be a salesperson of their services, but there's a lot of sales and a lot of sales emphasis in the financial services industry. And definitely in, I, I know for sure in North America, around the world, I'm not so sure, but definitely in North America, um, it's very difficult to know whether you're speaking to a professional advisor who's there really to get, give you advice, or if you're really speaking to a salesperson in advisor clothing, because they all have the same title. It's hard for you to know. Right. So so how do we as consumers, how can we realistically tell the difference? What are some of the the warning signs that we're being taken for a ride? Yeah. Okay. So let's take a step back. I mean, the, 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 to, be, to begin the answer to his question, should I do it on my own or not or, or hire somebody? At the end of the day, both of those alternatives, and you might groan when I tell you this, but both of those alternatives require that you learn. You've got to learn something. You've either got to learn enough to do it yourself, and that's going to be significantly more burdensome in time and you know your education requirement, or you have to learn enough to know how to tell the difference between good advisors and bad. 
Most people who don't know anything, who have no financial literacy whatsoever, they're the easiest targets for anybody. I mean, and that goes for anything. If you are mechanically illiterate, you know nothing about cars, it's easy for a mechanic to rip you off, right? If you know nothing about how to repair the roof on your home, it's easy for a roofer to rip you off or a contractor to rip you off. The more knowledge you have about a subject, the more confidence you will have, either in your own doing it or when dealing with a professional. And that's everywhere in everything. Finances are just really important. And the industry in some places really gears it towards believing the person you're talking to has your best interest at heart. But they really kind of don't. I mean, they're just business people trying to make a buck. Well, um, well some do, right? So, oh, there's def- absolutely tons. There, I, mean, I, I don't want to paint this. Yeah, the issue, uh, the issue is not that they're making money because it's their job, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's fine if they're making money. You pay your accountant, you pay your lawyer, you pay the plumber, you pay the guy to fix your roof. They're making money. It's not that they don't have your best interests in mind because they're making money. That's not the issue, right? Mm-hmm. The issue is, I think, one, incentives. Like, are, are their interests aligned with yours? And in a, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases in the industry, they're not. Mm-hmm. And secondly, do they philosophically align with where you'd like to be and how you'd like to do things or how things should be done rather. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are they doing the things that you want them to do? Because often people don't really know and it's hard to know. Does this financial advisor do this or that or the other? If you need service A but they only sell service B, you're probably going to get duped into buying service B. So the more you know, the more armed you are in being able to tell the difference between somebody that you need to talk to and somebody that you don't need to talk to. So I think in the beginning, really, what the public needs to know is what can an advisor, like an investment advisor we're talking about specifically, what can they actually do and what can't they do? And this might help you figure out when you're talking to somebody, if they say they can do something that we know they can't, you may you know, want to give that a second thought. So I've got a couple things here, uh, a few things. The first thing that you know a, a, an investment advisor, portfolio manager can't do is consistently beat the benchmark index in global in, in developed uh, benchmarks, develop, developed nations. So if somebody claims that they can constantly give you a return that is significantly better every year than what the U.S. market provides, did we talk about indexes so far yet? I, mean, I, can't, I can't remember. No, I don't think we really dived deep. We're going to, but at this stage, I don't think we've really dived deep into it now. Oh, okay, so Cole's notes. Um, very, very quick explanation. A benchmark is the... Does anyone outside of Canada know what Cole's notes is? <laughs> Isn't Cole's a Canadian bookstore? I actually don't know. Good question. Okay, so the short version. Um, a benchmark is A benchmark or an index is a measurement of the performance of all the companies in any given category. So you can have a U.S. index, which is measuring, which is usually called the S&P 500. There's a lot of them, but the S&P 500 is the most popular. And that measures the performance of the biggest 500 companies in the U.S. There are similar things in Europe and all different European nations, similar things in uh, Australia. To, so you measure the performance of Australian-based companies, Canada, I mean, all the major world markets. We have these benchmarks, these indexes. And what this benchmark does is it provides us with a standard of understanding. If we ask the question, how, are, how is the U.S. stock market doing? Well, to answer that question, you look at the benchmark. Did it go up this year? Did it go down this year? How much has it gone up by? How, how much has it lost? 
Um, that is basically your standard benchmark for comparison. And the reason this is important is because uh, most people, when they don't know what an index is or what a benchmark is, when you look at your portfolio return and say, hey, okay, this is how much I made in my investments, what are you comparing it to in order to assess that it did well or it didn't do well? Most people compare it to zero. You know, if I, you know, if I made money and it went up, I did well. But that's really not an appropriate comparison because really we should be looking at how the benchmark did. That's our comparison. If you went up by 10 and the benchmark went up by 30, I'd say you didn't do so well that year. But you might think, without knowing what the benchmark did, you might think that I went up by 10, that's amazing. Otherwise, I would have been in zero and that wouldn't be amazing. But really, we need to hold portfolio managers to a higher level of standard. And that is, you know, we're not comparing, comparing them to zero. We're comparing them to this thing called an index. So, so, so practically, when a, you know, when a financial advisor or somebody who's selling investment products says to you, look, this fund is amazing. It's been going up at this percentage for five years straight. That means absolutely nothing. Because okay. you've got to ask yourself, you've got to, so, you've got to ask, what is the performance of that fund or that investment in comparison to the index? Because if the index has been going up for five years straight, then that's no accomplishment. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there's actually two things to draw from your example. First is if it, the, the the portfolio manager says my investments, my portfolio went up by five percent for the last five years each year on average, you might say, okay, that's okay, I think. But then you look at the comparison index, and maybe it's gone up by eight percent every year on average for the last five years, and then you can realize, okay, yeah, this isn't actually that good uh, by comparison. The second thing is, can we predict the future? Can we say that? You know, let's say somebody has done really well, beat the benchmark for a couple of years. Does that mean they're always going to beat it and you should hire a professional portfolio manager to pick stocks for you? Actually, that's been proven not to be true, that it's not possible to predict the performance of somebody's picking, stock picking, based on what they've done in the past. So the other thing that advisors can't do is advisors can't predict the future. We can't tell you if... China is going to implode, and if that's going to have massive ramifications on um, concrete and steel and copper, and therefore you know, resource-heavy nations will go down and you know, economies will fall and oil will do this and gold will do that, we really can't predict the future with any accuracy. You look at the measurements of prognosticators and forecasters, and you measure their accuracy over time. Word They're of the day, prognosticator. <laughs> Forecaster, somebody who predicts the future. They, who you know, he developed some kind of prognosis of what's going to happen in the future. They're about as accurate collectively as a coin flip. So, who do you really believe? I mean, the question is, do you need to make money? Do you need to be able to predict the future in order to make money? And the answer is no. So, why are we wasting our time? Why hold are on, advisors? Hold on. Let me let me stop you there. Okay, uh -oh. so uh -oh. I'm I'm a little bit confused. Oh man. Um. No, in a good way. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a fair question, I think, that if I cannot use historical performance as a basis from which to choose either an advisor or an investment, then what do I use? Um, okay. So the first thing we have to accept is if you are investing, you are optimistic about the future of something and that something is really what you're investing in if you're investing in gold or real estate you're optimistic about the future of gold or real estate 
if you are an investor in American companies and developed nation companies and European companies, you are an optimistic person about the future of those things, period. When little things happen in the world, and I say little because 50 years from now, we probably won't remember any of it. But when things happen in the world and the thing that you're invested in, let's say it's gold or real estate, goes down in value over the next two, three, four months. Does that or should that fundamentally change your optimism? I mean, why were you optimistic about it in the first place? Yeah, so assuming that you have a a long-term view of whatever you're investing in, then these short-term dips in the market shouldn't phase you as long as the fundamentals are still strong. Yeah, I I would argue that investing can only be done in the long term. Sure, then it's not investing. If it's not Mm -hmm. long term, it's not investing, it's betting, really. Betting, trading, whatever you want to use, and that episode will be coming out soon. Um, That's really what it's going to be otherwise. You've got to have a long-term view. So first and foremost, if you're going to invest in anything, you've got to know that you're in it for years and years and years. The longer you're in it, the more well-off you'll be over time. So the short-term predictions of the future don't really matter. What you need to do is be a participant in that investment vehicle. So buy it, hold on to it for decades. Okay. So I'm sorry if we're going all over the place here, but I think there's a thread. And I just want to step back for a minute and and recap. The original question, should I invest on my own or hire a professional? What Saeed is saying is that ultimately you have to acknowledge that the burden of responsibility is on you. Yes. Whether you hire somebody or not, you still need to be responsible for learning and understanding as much as you can about money and finance and investing because it's your life and it's your money and you can't outsource some things. So exactly. you can take your car to a mechanic and if he rips you off, you lost a grand. You can bring in a, a plumber to you know replace your sink and if he rips you off, you lost, you lost $500. But if you blindly go into a relationship with an advisor, financial advisor, and he rips you off, you lost your life savings, mm-hmm. you know, in an extreme case, right? So this is too important to outsource to somebody and just kind of close your eyes and leave it with them. And um, blindly trust. And that's the thing that people need to realize. You can outsource to an extent and ask for help and hire help and pay for help. But to blindly trust them, anybody, you're asking for trouble. So, but that doesn't really answer the question as to whether I should do it on my own. So, so okay, devil's advocate, right? And this is okay. what I'm doing today. I'm, devil's, I'm the devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Not literally. Um, <laughs> so why bother? Just figure, if I have to figure it out on my own anyways, I'll just do it on my own. Good question. Um, there is, it, it's not a binary choice. Either I learn or I don't learn. It's how much. It's, it's uh, analog, not digital. How much do you want to learn? How much do you have to learn? How much of a priority will you make this? Because one of the great things that advisors do do is they build perspective. They tell you how important and they show you how important saving and investing in the long run is, which is what one of the things that we're trying to do here at RiskWise is provide that perspective of how important it is for you to manage your money well and be invested. We can't do it all here at RiskWise um, for you because we can't be everybody's advisor all around the world. We can you know, provide basic guiding principles. But one of the greatest things that advisors can do is provide that perspective and essentially create some urgency. And the reason that's important is because we've talked about this before, there's a difference between what is important and what is urgent. 
urgent is a function of how much, you know, it's happening right now and you need to do it right now. doesn't mean that it's in the grand scheme all that important to do. But in everybody's life, all the time, we let urgent things overpower important things. And saving and investing is incredibly important for your future. But all the urgent things of our kids, you know, needing us, you know, bills that have to come due, work projects, friends, social life, you know, relaxing, all of those urgent things, they overpower this very mightily important thing. So the first thing, if you want to do it on your own, you've got to have a very strong understanding of how important this is and how to be completely consistent with it for years and decades and decades. That's one of, one of the things that I think that advisors can do. So they can't, in developed worlds, beat these benchmarks. They can't predict the future, like the next six months, what's going to happen, because nobody can with accuracy. Uh, but they can keep you rational. They can keep you well coached and into good investor behavior when the markets go crazy, because they will eventually. If it's not happening today, it'll happen in a year or two when the markets are dropping like crazy and the world seems like it's falling apart and everybody around you is telling you to sell everything. And, you know, Jim Cramer on whatever network he's, he's on these days. He's going to hit that button every 10 seconds. Well, don't, I mean, don't watch him either way. Right? <laughs> Whether you hire an advisor or not, watching – yeah, see, that's a big issue, right? Financial Being a news. consumer of the financial media is is the quickest path to ruin. Yeah. Am I, am I too bold in saying that? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, it, their financial entertainment, there's actually a, a really good clip. Maybe we'll link to it in the show notes uh, if I can find a legit copy of it. It's um, a Jim Cramer on Jon Stewart. On uh, his show, John Stewart's show. Oh, I have never seen this. Oh my God! It happened in two thousand and nine, in the midst of the big financial crisis, and John Stewart is just laying into him about how he's completely misguided people this entire time. How he was basically uh, a few weeks prior, he was telling people to buy Bear Stearns, and then Bear Stearns went goes bankrupt, and how how could he possibly like sleep at night when he knows that he you know convinced mom and pops to go and buy something that was bankrupt in a couple days or in a couple weeks. Right, right. Oh, he held his feet to the fire. It was great. And Jim Cramer said something. I can't remember the exact timestamp of the clip, but he said something that was perfect. And he said, I'm just a guy trying to do a financial entertainment show. Right, okay. So there's a couple of really important important points there, right? One is that what what you know what all of this teaches us is that there's some very smart people and I would I would pretty much guarantee that Jim Cramer knows more about money in the markets than all of our listeners. <laughs> oh, he was a very and, successful hedge fund manager. And, yeah. and, and that's that's no understatement, right? But he makes mistakes and he's wrong a lot. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, from experience that he's been wrong a lot, him and others, right? So if an advisor comes to you or some kind of a financial professional comes to you and says, I can always beat the market, I'm always right, run for the hills because nobody can say that. Nobody Even the smartest people on Wall Street can't say that. Exactly. And secondly, that the, the, the financial media industry is not designed to help you make better investment decisions. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it, Ahmed. You're on fire today. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. They're there. What are they there for? If they're not there to help you make good financial decisions, what are those financial news networks there to do? Ratings. Yes, to get you to watch, to get you to watch Jim Cramer jump up and down and pull his hair out and like press buttons and make funny noises and scream. Exactly, it's financial entertainment. It's not financial help, at all. 
So that those news, if you're getting any information from any major news network and you're making an investment decision based on that, I mean, alamak. I mean, there, I don't know how you're going to be able to survive off that because their job is not to help you. Their job is to sell advertising and whatever gets views, whatever gets hits, whatever gets, you know, eyeballs, that's what they're going to do, regardless if it's actually good for you or not. Okay. And I want to come back to a couple of things that you said that are really important to highlight. You mentioned that, you know, you mentioned what an advisor can and cannot do. They, they can't consistently beat the market. They can't predict the future. They can't do this and that, right? What mm -hmm. they can do is they can protect you. Um, I don't know if protect is the right word, but they can act as a barrier between you and your decisions. Yes, they are a filter, an emotional filter. People make decisions emotionally, as we talked before. When it comes to your investments, if you make decisions emotionally, it's the worst thing that you can possibly do because invariably, and this has been proven by studies, people will buy when things are high priced and sell when things are low priced. So if you buy high and sell low, how are you ever going to make money? And that's why people don't make money in the stock market because they make an emotional, completely non-analytical decision. So when so, it comes to whether or not you should hire an advisor, and this, this, this is before you even get to the question of which advisor to hire, when it comes to whether or not you should hire an advisor, I think there's two questions you have to ask yourself. And if there's more, say, you can, you can add mm -hmm. more. But one is how much am I willing to learn? Because you, can, you have to learn no matter what, and we've, we've discussed that at length now. You have to learn. You have to educate yourself. You have to understand how all of this works. And if you're listening, then you're on the right track. I mean, if you're listening to this, and if you've listened to even some of our episodes, you've done more than 99% of people, and that's good. <laughs> you're not done. you still got a long way to go, but, but you're on the right track, and, and yep. you've, you've demonstrated your commitment to that, and that's good, right? However, if you want to do this on your own, entirely on your own, you've got a lot to learn. Yeah. You can't just scratch the surface, right? And that's not to scare you. That's just to be honest, right? So one of the value propositions of hiring an advisor is that you don't need to learn everything, you need to learn enough to be able to have a meaningful conversation with an advisor and understand what they're doing with your money. Yeah, and discern good ones from bad ones, basically. And I would say that if you choose to do it on your own, there's one more thing that you have to do in addition to learning, and that is to have incredible Zen monk um, Vulcan level of control over your emotions. Oh, so this is my second point. You're you're, you're jumping the gun, getting ahead Sorry. of me. So the Sorry. second question you have to ask yourself is, how disciplined can you be? Oh, but everybody's going to say I'm disciplined. Of course I'm disciplined. Right. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So Un what's until you face, you know, you have a hundred thousand dollars invested in the market, and through no fault of your own, because you didn't do anything you lost $30,000. Or let's add a zero to that. You have a million dollars in the market and because and you didn't do anything to do it. Like it's not like you made a bad decision. The market just went down and you lost $300,000 from one statement to the next. Okay, so put yourself in that in those in, in that situation. This is actually a really good uh, you know, scenario. You've got a million dollars invested today. 3 months from now, the market takes a turn. Let's say you're in China. <laughs> Yeah, the market takes a turn for the worse and you lose $300,000. So now your portfolio's value is down from a million dollars to $700,000. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And this is if where you're a human. <laughs> yeah. If you're a human being with emotions and feelings and, and a brain, you want to sell. But selling is probably the worst thing you can do at that time. Absolutely.
But, you know, we have these emotional biases and there's this thing called the recency effect where people or recency bias, sorry, where people believe that the thing that has happened the most recently is the most important thing ever. So in that scenario, I just lost 30 percent. Emotionally, people will think I'm going to continue losing money. I better get out now. Right. Even though the, 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 the fact that you lost money has no bearing on whether or not you're going to continue to lose money because the, the fact that the market went down does not mean it's going to continue to go down. It could just exactly. as easily go back up and then you're going to lose more money if you sell. Actually, the probability is the opposite. The further markets fall, the higher the probability that they will go back up. Mm, right. Okay. Right. If the market fell 1%, I mean, tomorrow, if, if today markets fell 1%, tomorrow they could do another, they could lose another 1%. That's not really enough magnitude for us to make any kind of probabilistic, probabilistic decision. But if today or this month or these last couple of months, the markets fell by 30%, I mean, the probabilities would show that you have a much higher probability, a much higher chance of the markets going up than going down. But people don't realize that. They don't make decisions based on statistics. They don't make decisions based on data. Your advisor should be doing that for you and should be protecting you from the emotional gut reactions that you're going to want to make. Yeah. Now, th- th- I think it's important to, to, to make a few disclaimers here. This is not a, you know, a, a pitch for you to hire an advisor because actually I think for a lot of people, it's probably not necessary. Is that fair to say, Saeed? For a lot of people, assuming that you do a few things... You commit to you commit to learning. You commit to the long term, and you put some controls in place to prevent you from making stupid decisions, which is possible. People do it. Then this is doable. It's doable. Should everybody be doing it, or should the majority of people be doing it? I think the majority would need a lot more knowledge than it currently exists. I mean, the Muslim population that I see, that I talk to, and that are listeners, and that ask us questions, they ask great questions, but. They're very personal things that people need to be doing and getting better at. And they demonstrate that we really don't know much about money at all. And if we, you know, try to do certain things on our own, let's say you want to change the brakes on your car and you don't know the first thing about, you know, hydraulics, how hydraulic pumps and hydraulic systems work or how to cut them or how to splice into them or how to, you know, turn a screwdriver or a wrench to, you know, take off your rotor or brake pad you can't change your brakes. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge that you need to take in before you can say that you're confident enough to do that. And I, I, it, it, I agree with you that it's possible. It's not rocket science. It's not something that you need a PhD in to buy a stock or buy a, uh, an index or buy whatever. Well, you know what? I think the other, the other side to this argument is that if there was a, uh, an abundance of very trustworthy financial advisors that we could quickly validate and, and trust with our money, then that may be a different story. But the truth is, there's not that many Saeed Ali's in the world. And, and this is my other disclaimer, is that this is not a sales pitch for a Saeed Ali financial planner. No, and I don't... Who, who's very good at what he does, but in the end, he's one man. And realistically, he can't, you know... I mean, actually, I would encourage people to go and check out his website, saeedali.com. Maybe there is a good fit. But realistically, you know, he can only work with so many people. And there's not that many people like him out there. So my fear is... To tell people that they have to hire an advisor, um, even if that makes logical sense for most people, where are they going to find these advisors? That's my fear. Mm, yeah. 
Do you see what I mean? Like, there's just not that many people out there that can be trusted. And I wouldn't say that. I don't know the statistics enough to say that um, there are uh, the majority is untrustworthy or the majority is trustworthy. I don't know. Well, there's uh, no that, stat on that. <laughs> that. No. I mean, how do you measure trust first place? But I think when if you decide as a listener that. I don't want to do this on my own, that the better of other things, better things that I want to do with my time. I don't have an aptitude for financial analysis. Um, this isn't something I, I want to hire help, basically, is what you want want to do. The best thing that we can do, you and I, Ahmed, is to give everybody a criteria of understanding to say, here's what here are some characteristics to look out for, and here are some characteristics to watch out for. Yeah, I mean, if you keep listening to RiskWise, and this is why we're doing this, right? This, in the end, this is the bottom line. If you keep listening to RiskWise and you follow and you pay attention and you learn, when you when you decide to hire an advisor or a professional and you walk into that meeting, I guarantee you, you're going to know more than any of his clients. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. And and that's that's really the bottom line, right? Either way, you've got to invest in learning. You've got to invest in education. You've got to spend the time to understand how this works. Mm-hmm. And and it's work, right? Whether you do it on your own, if you do it on your own, you got to learn more. If you hire an advisor, you've got to find an advisor and then engage him and then talk to him. And, and that that's time too. So no matter how you spin this thing, it's it takes some time. It takes a bit of work, but it's important. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? It does. That's very fair. Should we wrap this up? I think there's a lot to say on this topic, but um, uh, and I think we're going to have more questions along the same vein. So we'll, we can save the rest for another day. Absolutely. Sounds good then. Inshallah. Zakallah khair. Thank you so much, Saeed. And thank you to the rest of you for listening. Yeah. See you next time. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.